Let's keep the rules. Let's look like it's all right, talk right. Let's not mess up. And if we do mess up, let's not let anybody know. So let's let's be like the older brother. Let's let's pay more attention to the rules than we do the grace. We understand that Jesus came. Uh, the gospel said that Jesus came to His fullness of truth and grace. So Jesus came in the fullness of truth and grace. Not that there's more truth than, than grace, not that there's more grace than truth, but he came to be the fullness of both. So as you sit at the breakfast table and you know, okay, I can't belch. I'm going to be thankful. I'm going to say please. I'm going to say thank you. I'm going to wipe my mouth. I've got to help with the dishes. I've got to do all this stuff. I cannot mess up because the minute I mess up, what is Dad going to do? Will the train come from screeching home and he'll say, I knew I should have let you back in. And some of us live our spiritual lives and our relationship with God just like that. And sometimes, as we sit at that table with other people who we deem not worthy to be there, well, I've never done that. Well, I've never, I've never been where he was. I've never said what she said. I've never made those choices. Really? See, because we can be like the older son comparing our worth to what the younger son has done, instead of comparing our worth to the grace of the Father. Understand, you will always find somebody who is a bigger mess up than you. It's easy. You can do that in this room. You can also find somebody in this room that is probably the last of a mess up than you. Easily. So does God really snake up to be at my table? We're going to have a popularity contest. We're going to have a contest to see who wore the over this morning. Right? And whoever stinks the last gets to stay. I don't want to be the one that has to judge that. Right? Is anybody? No, we don't. But we make those assessments all the time. I believe firmly that the key is what it means to be God's table. To me, as a, as a child of God, and sitting at the table. And we're going to talk about three things today that we get from sitting at the table of God. Before we do that, I want to read some things to you about whose table you're sitting at. Because it's easy to get distracted and think we're sitting at somebody else's table. And as long as you think you're sitting at my table, you can have a very skewed idea of what it means to be a follower of God. If you think that you're sitting at uh, Jennifer's table, you're going to have a very skewed idea. So what we want to do is we want to understand as best as we possibly can whose table we're sitting at. And not just that, but who determines who has the right to sit at that table. So I'm going to read some things for you that are future events. Some of that you heard this morning. Now, you won't find this in your book, and you won't find this on the screen, but you will find this in the book of Revelations, uh, chapter 4, chapter 5, and um, chapter 12. So it won't take me long. I just want you to bear with me. And as much as possible, I want, I want you to allow what I'm reading to you to sink in. Because this is whose table we sit at. Actually, part of this you sang this morning. In the center around the throne were four living creatures. 
um, a few weeks ago, um, I led one of their study groups, which is very intimidating to me, because I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I might be the funniest, but I, I, <laughs> I know I'm not the smartest. So I was very intimidated to surround these 30 guys, um, and women, men and women, and lead this study group, very intimidating to me. The person who leads, who, who leads the journey for every church that's involved in it, um, when, when they approach me about leading this group, I was like, hey, certainly there's somebody more qualified. And I know the people in the room, there's a lot more qualified. And this is what was said to me, and I was very taken back and humbled by that. This person said, well, here's the deal. Whenever you are here, I feel safe. Whenever you're here, I think, okay, everything's going to be okay. I have no idea what that meant. No clue. I didn't ask. I was like, you know, you're crazy. Um, but, so there are people around you that give you a, a feeling of safety, a feeling of security, a feeling of joy, a feeling of peace, a feeling of, okay, everything's going to be okay. I would say those feelings are always legitimate and right and accurate. But he says, you choose to be near me, and it makes me glad. What a fantastic statement about God being near to us. You know, the Bible says, draw near to me. God says, draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. To be in God's presence, to be at his table, he says, I will always be joyful. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. Understand this is God to us. He will rejoice over you with singing. I think in getting ready for this, this is the first time I've ever thought about God singing. I'm sure he's got a fantastic voice. He says he will rejoice over you with singing. I don't know that I've ever discovered this before. That God rejoices over us and he sings. Being in God's presence. Being at his table. When we're at God's table, we get to enjoy his presence. Number two, we get the Father's promises. Now, what we've understood so far is that if I'm not in God's presence, I'm never going to understand His promises. Because oftentimes, we just want God's promises. We don't want to invest the time to be in His presence. We don't want to invest the time to be in His Word. We just want to treat Him like somebody calls or the tooth fairy or whoever, and just get, get, get. If we're not going to invest the time to be in His presence, then why, why do we think we'd ever get His promises? Psalm 119, 103. And by the way, Psalm 119, if you want to read the most concentrated group of statements about God and His Word, you find it in Psalm 119. Over and over, it's your word is lamp to my feet. Your words are sweet in the honey. Your words, your words, your words. You find that in Psalm 19. How sweet are your words to my taste? Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Over the summers, we do that series called Open Your Bibles because we really want to know what God says, not just what somebody think God, thinks God says or what you heard on the radio that God says or, or what Will said God.
because what the Father did for us was something we could have never done for ourselves. And not only did God leave heaven in the form of Jesus and take, take the form of a man rather um, to live like we live. And you understand some of the irony of that, don't you? You understand, you understand that a couple thousand years ago, there's this guy named Jesus. Uh, he didn't claim to know a lot about God. He claimed to be God. He didn't claim to know God's Word. He claimed to be the Word of God. And he had a ministry that lasted just under three years. Just under three years. So a couple thousand years ago, we had a guy do a sort of ministry, sort of movement that lasted three years at best. And here we are talking about it. Along with millions of people around the world. A ministry that lasted three years. Do you get the fact that the God of heaven stepped into humanity and changed the course of history? He did for us what we could have never done for ourselves. So we understand that we got to be in God's presence in order to grasp the promises. And without knowing the promises, we're not going to be able to grasp the provision. Like Jesus saying, whoever comes to me, I will invite them in. Revelation says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus said, I am the way, not a way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, and no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws them. God's provision for us. So we're going to take a minute right now. We're going to read this verse, and we're going to invite you to take communion with us. And he took bread, meaning Jesus, and he gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The words Jesus used are very important, obviously. He says, Do this thing to remember what I've done for you. Not as what I'm doing for you. So we understand that communion, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, is not gaining a salvation. It's not a sacrament that doesn't have saving value. It's the thing Jesus said they need you to do this so that you never forget the sacrifice that was paid for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant with my blood, which is poured out for you. So he gives us two very clear pictures, one of his body, one of his blood, um, which were offered as a sacrifice, as a payment for us, to redeem us, to buy us back. The red verses in Revelation, where it says, the lamb who had been slain. In communion, sitting at God's table, is a constant reminder for us of not just his provision, but his promise and his presence. 
this is self-serve in our church. Because we want you to go when you're ready. Not when somebody just comes by and hands it to you and says, ready or not, here it comes. Okay, so, um, when you're ready, you take communion for yourself. Um, and we have just one more verse when we're all wrapped up um, for, for our talk today. But this is about relishing God's presence. You know, um, Paul says in Corinthians that you examine your heart, take time to reflect about what your walk with God is like. You don't take it hurriedly or um, with a cavalier heart. You take communion serious because this is the remembering of what Jesus did for us. So, when you're ready, you can give it up. I'm going to have a seat. I'll take it when I'm ready. Um, and so, we're going to observe communion right now as a church family. Being God's table is that none of us 